Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great job, great reading, Isabella. Thank you very much indeed. Good. I've been away for um, a few months, and when I got back, the theme for Christmas was already, so to speak, in the bag. I think it's their way of getting back at me. Why don't we make Christmas all about joy? You having a laugh? If you go out into the street, if you go into the center of Ipswich this morning, and you ask a passerby for one word that would describe the average Christian, what word do you think you'd get? Boring? Grumpy? Weird? If I was to ask you what you think of the average Christian, what word comes to mind? Boring? (laughs) Grumpy? Weird? And these guys go, I know what, hashtag Burlington Joy, that'll be fun, they said. Why? Why? Are Christians not known for joy? Discuss. Uh, Discuss. Okay, has anyone shared something really insightful that we all could benefit from? They don't know real Christians. They don't know real Christians? Yes. Another insight. Oh, thanks, Linda. Well done. They don't understand grace. They don't Oh, they don't understand the joy you get from being a Christian? Joy is not just something that's on the surface. Okay, it's not something that's on the surface. There's something deeper going on than deep joy, we call that, don't we, Dave? We used to sing songs about that, didn't we? Deep joy. Uh, Chris, and then Judy. Chris. A lot of Christians are quite joyful. Yes, I think they are. I think they are. Judy. Okay, yeah. Brilliant. Alan? I was going to say Same thing. Okay, yeah, okay. Isn't that, isn't that a real truth? That the world should be envious of us. Think about that for a moment. As you walk down the street in Ipswich, do you think, hey, you should be envious of me? <laughs> it's back to what we were saying, was it last week or the week before, about, about we, are, we are salt and light, and salt was an incredibly valuable commodity, and, and, and about the sense that if we could capture a belief in ourselves that we add super value to the world, that we are the people that others should look to, 
in terms of how to live and how to respond and so on. So let's hold all those thoughts as we get into uh, this. This was the verse, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great and it will be for all uh, the people. It was as if a momentum, a movement was starting that was going to have the drumbeat of joy at its heart, amongst other things, for sure. The shepherd's story, in different ways, helps us to think about how we might connect with the joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And sometimes we feel quite weak, and if joy and strength are related to each other, then my joy level will match my strength level, and that's another important way of looking at the Christian life. You cannot be miserable and full of Christian strength. And if you're full of Christian joy, you will have a strength to live out the Christian uh, life. Joy, where does it come from? It comes from the fact that we are invited. The amazing thing about the shepherd's story is that they were on the outside and they were invited in. There is nothing that we like more than to get an invitation Something that says you can move from the outside to the inside. Something that says you are included here. Something that says you have the right to belong here. You are involved. One of the greatest pains of our lives comes right from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fell out with God and they fell out with each other and they were shut out, the Bible says, from God's presence. They were excluded from what they were created and it's created a wound in humanity that is still working itself out in pain and dysfunction and wars and strife and bitterness and grief to the ends of the earth for the last X thousand of years. Every dispute we see today is a working out of that sense of people feeling on the outside, of people feeling excluded, of not being welcomed in. And so at the heart of the Christian message, at the heart of this story, at the heart of this big moment in God's story, was an angel turning up and saying, you might think that you should be excluded. And there were good reasons to exclude the shepherds. They were smelly. They were fairly uneducated. They dealt with animals and therefore in certain contexts were regarded as unclean. They lived and operated unsociable hours. They were on the outside of so much of what happened on the inside. And he rocks up to the shepherds and says, hey, you're you're invited in. Come look, come see, come be involved. This is your story. This is for you. God is up to something and you are included. Great joy. Great joy comes from the discovery of knowing that God is up to something and you're included. Did you know that? You are part of this great story that is unfolding in our world today. You are part of a story that began way back and will reach its climax at the end of time. And you are included. But joy also because we remember the sacrifice. The the thing about the shepherds, And it's true of everything in the Bible. There's always more than one thing going on. You know, it's talking about something over here, but at the same time, something else is going on by here. The Bible's like that everywhere. And it's like that, of course, with the story of the shepherds. The Old Testament had at the center of worshipping life the temple. And what happened at the temple, at the center of the temple? Sacrifices. 
So year on year, festival on festival, there were sacrifices that took place at the temple that were at the heart of worship. The Old Testament was not the real deal, was it? Hello? The Old Testament was the beginnings. It was a sign. It was a symbol. It was pointing towards something that one day would be fully real. So what's the one thing that was fully real that the temple sacrifices were acting out all of the years? What were they? Jesus. And that's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what's that got to do with the shepherds? Uh Aha, well, the shepherds looked after the sheep, and where were these shepherds looking after sheep? Just outside Bethlehem. Just outside Bethlehem was where the temple fields were. So the sheep, or the lambs, that were being reared, ready for sacrifice, were being looked after by these shepherds. Uh Uh-huh, isn't that cool? So it wasn't just, let's get some, thanks John, it wasn't just, let's get some random people and send them to the manger to remind everybody that we're all included, although it does that. The shepherds coming to watch over almost literally the birth of the baby Jesus was a reminder that the cross and the shadow of it falls over the whole story. A bit like the wise men rocking up with gold, frankincense and myrrh which is what you use to anoint a dead body. And so there's, there's all this stuff going on. The shepherds race to uh, see the baby because they've been invited. But as you look, step back and think about what's going on, there's something much deeper going on. This is the one who will put everything right. This is the sacrifice that history has longed for and waited for and looked for. This is the real deal. And, and hey, joy comes from the real deal. Joy comes from knowing you've been called to be part of the story. And joy comes from remembering the sacrifice. Because you can't just remember the sacrifice without thinking about the, the resurrection. They'll give you a clue. It's the biggest part of the story. Yeah, the resurrection. You can't think about the sacrifice without remembering the resurrection. Because our faith does not end in some cul-de-sac of a Palestinian grave, does it? No. Thank you, Anna. And so there's a sense in which these shepherds are being given this great news of joy. And it it comes from being invited. It comes from sensing afresh what the sacrifice is all about. And it comes because we see like them that there's a new reality. Suddenly, there in that field, there's a whole host of angels singing. Now, I love these moments in the Bible but also in our lives, when it's like God pulls back the veil so we can see some things that our natural eyes don't normally see. You with me? And this is a moment. Suddenly those shepherds become aware that out on the fields where they're cold and it's dark and they're isolated and they're lonely and all the rest of the stuff which comes from doing a pretty dull, boring job and you might know how that feels. Suddenly it's like the curtains pull back and there's a whole host of angels there with them. It's like heaven is there with them in that field, in that place. It's like if only we can see it, heaven is there in our work, however dull and mundane. Heaven is there in our homes, even when it's difficult and relationships are tense. Heaven is there in our neighborhoods and all the rest of it. It's not just me on my own doing my thing, but the whole of heaven is there if only I can choose to see it. It's an amazing thing. You know, you and heaven's army goes to work tomorrow. You and heaven's army 
sings worship in the shower or whatever you do to worship wherever you go. And, and if we can just grasp this bigger picture, and Hebrews, of course, talks about a great cloud of witnesses. Don't forget, it's not just you nodding no mates and your faith, but there's a whole host of people, not just the physical human ones, but a whole host of spiritual heavenly beings too that share in the party. Joy because God's broken into our reality. What does it mean for you to see heaven breaking into the ordinariness of our everyday lives. Do you know what it means? It means real joy. Real, deep down, sustained joy. And joy because we share uh, their destiny. Because we share their destiny. These shepherds were changed. They, they, they They were never going to go back to looking after sheep in the same way. What did they do? They, they couldn't help themselves but keep telling the story. Keep sharing with others what they had known and experienced. And everywhere they went, they shared the story. And the people who heard the story were amazed, full of amazement or joy or wonder. In some sense, their joy became contagious. And this movement of unstoppable joy was was, was suddenly exploding all over the place. They'd encountered God and everything had changed. Again, all all these stories work on so many different levels. Just another nod and a wink from the wise men about this same thing. You know the story of the wise men? They go and they they get to Herod first and Herod says, hey, tell me where the baby's born and so I too may go and worship. You know that bit? And what Herod meant to do is go and kill the baby and so on. And it says the wise men, because of a dream, went home a different route. And physically, they went home a different route because they were not going to go back to Herod and tell him. But at a deeper level, those wise men, having found what they'd searched for all their lives, went home a different way as different people. They were now on a different journey. You with me? You with me? Great. When when we encounter Jesus, it, it takes us on a different route. It sends us on a different journey. It takes us to a different place. They encountered God and everything changed. So... Why are Christians not known for their joy? I think joy gets blocked in, in so many different ways. In fact, the, the more I think about it, the more examples or ways I, 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 I can think of how joy that, that would naturally bubble up in our lives just gets blocked. And in, instead of the joy being contagious, it kind of just gets stuck with us. It's like we incubate the joy. We get the joy so deep that somehow we can't get it out. It's right the way down. You've got to go digging for your joy. And, and, and so I'm thinking, well, why has joy got so deep? Why has it got pushed down, pushed down, pushed down? You know, you need a shovel to look for that, my friend, if you want some joy. Uh, because things come in on top and have, have, have like robbed us of this joy. The first one that I began to think about was shame. Simon Barrington did a brilliant message on shame earlier in the autumn. Some of you might remember that. If you missed it, get it on the podcast. Really helpful. As you think about shame. And where does shame come from? Well, it comes right from the beginning. When Adam and Eve had messed up and God comes walking in the garden and it says they hid themselves because they were full of shame. Shame is feeling like you don't quite fit, you don't quite belong, you're not quite sure of yourself. And we see it expressed everywhere in our world. Loads of us here go to work and think deep in our hearts, one day they'll find me out. And it's not that you're bad or wrong or you do naughty things at work. It's just that you think they'll discover you're not really as good as they say you are. 
What's that? That's shame, a deep insecurity about who you are. Or you'll go, I just, I just don't believe anyone wants to connect with me or, or relate to me. That, that's shame at work in our, in our lives. And it pushes down the joy. But Jesus came. Jesus came to take our shame away. That's the whole point, isn't it, of, of Jesus is reversing all that took place at the fall and at the beginning. Uh, and another kind of related to shame is, is around guilt. When, when David had, <clears throat> uh, had committed adultery with Bathsheba and got Bathsheba's husband killed, and it was all a mess, and, and he was full of guilt, and he was trying to sort himself out and deal with it with God, in the end, he had to say to God, God, I, I, know, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm rescued, I know I'm saved, but restore to me the joy of it. And do you know what? I think many of us get stuck at that point. Do you know? We go, uh, is, are your sins forgiven? Yep, my sins are forgiven. Are you going to heaven? Yep, I'm going to heaven. Are you confident that nothing in all the creation can separate you from the love of God? Yep, I read that. It's in Romans. Yep. And the joy doesn't touch us. And, and what's great is that David, a man after God's own heart, he got in that same pickle as us. Gives me hope. He, he should have known better than that. But he's locked in his guilt and he's going, Lord, I need your help to get the joy back. I need your help to get the joy back. Renew a right spirit within me, says some of the translations. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, says this one, but it's not as good as some others. Find a translation that says what you want it to say and say it. No, that's just a joke, not at all. It's just absolutely joke, right? Quick way to fill my email inbox. Guilt is a joy blocker. Joy gets blocked by fear, doesn't it? Maybe that's why every single part of the Christmas story begins with the phrase, do not be afraid. Now, there's two things really important about that. One is that it's anticipated that you're going to be afraid. So you're not a terrible bad Christian if you're afraid. But you probably are a terrible bad Christian if you stay there. Because the second thing is, do not be afraid. Your natural response will be fear. And didn't we say that somewhere down here? Perhaps Tony or some, one of us was saying about, or, or Alan maybe, we're not quite sure how to project ourselves, how to deal with ourselves out there so that our joy gets lost somewhere. And it's often all caught up in fear because that's attached to our shame and to our guilt, all those things that Jesus came to bust his way through, through his death and resurrection on the cross. Do not be afraid. And you know, honest, the next best thing, and uh, uh, Kerry says this a lot, the next best thing, if you can't, Get rid of the fear. Just do it afraid. Because that's the biggest fear buster, isn't it? Do it afraid. How did those shepherds feel as they opened the door gingerly to go into that stable? Who were they to be there at that time? Who did they think they were pushed through the fear? And they did it afraid. And some contagious joy got going all over the shop. Joy gets blocked by exhaustion. Exhaustion. Some of us are not very joyful because we're worn out. And um, you, know when you, you know when you read books and stuff and they say things that are true that really kind of get you? Eugene Peterson wrote a book about uh, the gift that you are to other people and so on. And he said very simply, a very, very simple line early on in the beginning of the book. He said, if you are exhausted, you only have yourself to blame. You are too lazy to organize your life better. I, I didn't say that. It's just him. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's on about. He translated the whole of the Bible, but it's funny, isn't it? It's not a proper Bible, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. I thought, hmm. And I'd kind of recovered a little bit, processed some of my shame, anger, guilt, all the other stuff that was blocking my joy at that particular moment. I thought, well, maybe he's onto something here. Because in Christian circles, 
It's not like you're doing a load of bad stuff that you haven't got time to do the good stuff. Most Christians have dealt with that a long time ago. So they're doing good stuff, and 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 they're doing good stuff, which makes it harder to stop something because it's good. Are you with me? So, so it's not an easy choice anymore to go, well, do you know what? I'll just cut the bad stuff out. That might be easier. I've got all this good stuff. And the enemy of the best in our lives is not what's bad, but too many things that are good. So for example, a very simple illustration. If you've got lots of great words, if you're a writer and you write a story and you write it neatly on an A4 page, and when you get to the bottom of that page, then you start writing up the side and the margins, then you go back over the top, and then you go back down the side, then you write in between the lines. Everything you've written might be brilliant, but too much good will totally ruin the whole thing. Are you with me? And some of us find ourselves in that trap that too much good is ruining the whole thing. And instead of that joy bubbling up, we're just at that, I've just got to get through. 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 And, and there'll be, I doubt hardly anyone here who doesn't sometimes live with the reality, do you know what, I've just got to get through today. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are days like that. There might be many days like that. But for some of us, every day's like that. Every day's I've just got to try and get through. Where's the joy? Do you know the joy's lost? under a massive list of oughts and obligations and stuff that I'm not sure that Jesus signs up to in our lives. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And it's, it's easy to find out. It's not that we're, we're bad Christians and we're bad people. Elijah, he has this massive victory over the prophets of Baal. And can you imagine the, the strength of faith? If you don't know the story, very simply, it goes like this. There were loads of, of, of pagan prophets in the land, and Elijah said, basically, my God's better than your God, because my God's real and your God isn't. And they said, okay, let's do, the, let's do a duel. They agreed to a duel. They were going to put an altar, and Elijah was going to pray to his real God for fire to come down on the altar. They were going to pray to their false gods, that's our perspective on it, uh, not theirs at the time, to, for, for, for God. To put, and, and what happened? They, they, they tried everything to get fire to come down their altar. Nothing happened. Elijah put water and everything on his, and he prayed, and the fire came down. And basically, it was a massive victory. Have you ever had a massive victory in your, in your Christian life? Right after that, almost the very next day, Elijah's running for his life totally scared. Why? Because the adrenaline has stopped. Why? Because he's exhausted emotionally, physically. He hasn't lost his faith. It hasn't all gone wrong, but it looks like he has. Do you know what he says almost the very next day? He says, do you know what? I think I want to die. You what? 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 He's, gone from, he's gone from just a couple of verses in the Bible, just a few hours. He's gone from being the greatest spiritual giant almost in the whole of the Old Testament, taking on the whole pagan world, seeing the demons run for their lives. And he's going, I want to die because the joy gets lost because he's exhausted. I love what God says. Sleep a bit, eat a bit, and rest a bit. How cool is that? You know, we'll read your Bible a bit more and get praying. Come on. Come on, do more, more, more. No, no, no. Just, just relax. Just allow what's true about you. Allow the joy that God's placed in you to come back to the surface. You know, and there are times in my life I think this is absolutely nuts. I'm doing something I love to do, and I've got all day to do it in, and I don't feel full of joy. And it's because I'm exhausted. And it's the same for all of us. Exhaustion. A joy blocker. Loneliness is another one. Loneliness is another one. Loneliness is hard to deal with because to be not lonely, we have to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable is really difficult. And, and to uh, respond to loneliness, you need other people who are willing to let you be vulnerable and respond to it. It's a lovely verse about God putting the, the, the lonely in families. 
And, and again, it's a bit like that Eugene Peterson quote, which is a bit kind of, feels kind of harsh and, and in, our, in our face. There's a sense in which loneliness is all of our problems. The trouble is when we're lonely that we isolate ourselves, and when we isolate ourselves, we expect someone else to fix it for us. And you will know that doesn't work, but it doesn't stop us trying. You with me? In fact, sometimes it doesn't work, and so we get more isolated in order to convince ourselves even more that it doesn't work, and then we get more upset that we're isolated. So, so we have to work on it together. We have to bust it together. Because loneliness is not the way we were created. We were born to be in family, in relationship, in partnership, in, and family comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes in the kingdom of God. But that's his, that's his plan. That's his heart for us. And, and loneliness can suck the joy out of life. There are other things, perhaps, if we had more time to think about. Anger, is, anger sucks joy like you wouldn't believe. You can't be angry and joyful at the same time, can you? Let me tell you, observing, you can't be angry and joyful at the same time. You can't be. And you can't, you can't hold on to something towards someone and be joyful at the same time. If you do not forgive your brother, sister from your heart, you will not see that joy rise. Which is why that Psalm 23, the most famous of Old Testament Psalms, has this just beautiful line in it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You can only feast in the presence of your enemies. You can only have a party. You can only be full of joy. You can only celebrate in in the presence of enemies if you have forgiven them. If you haven't, you will still be fuming. And you're a party pooper if you're fuming. And so all these different things, push the joy down, push the joy down, push the joy down. So when we joke as Christians that the joy's gone real deep, I think we're onto something. It's gone so deep we don't even feel it sometimes because all these other things have come in. And then Jesus comes along as if he's the answer to everything and says, this is great news or good news of great joy for all the people. You can get your joy back because all of the blockages were on the cross. On the cross. There isn't anything on that cross Sorry, there isn't anything blocking our joy that wasn't on that cross. You with me? My shame was on that cross. My shame. My sense of I don't fit. My sense of wanting to hide. My sense of not being complete in my own skin. All on the cross. My guilt. My my real guilt. My false guilt. My obvious guilt. My less obvious guilt. The guilt of things I've done to myself. I've done to all on the cross. All of it on the cross. Guilt all on the cross. My exhaustion is on the cross because what's exhaustion a product of? Exhaustion is simply saying, this world will not work unless I keep doing all the good things I possibly can. And the amazing thing is that when we stop, we realize that actually God's got the world in his hands. It's not in my hands. But do you know what I mean when you live as if it all depends on you? I mean, who are we trying to kid? And so exhaustion, my, my attempt to put myself right was nailed to the cross. My unwillingness to forgive was nailed to the cross. And suddenly, the joy, the joy that he came to bring starts to rise, starts to flourish. And and, and do you know what? If you're a misery guts in the morning and you spend half a day with someone full of joy, it can go the other way, but, but what happens? Suddenly, it's not quite so bad anymore. You imagine if we could start a momentum of joy all around this community, all around our neighborhoods, all around our homes and families, as we take responsibility for what stops the joy in me. Because this joy was for all people. Unless, of course, you're struggling with your own identity, in which case you think it's for everybody else. And that in itself is a joy blocker right there. 
It's good stuff, isn't it? Those shepherds raced down the hill. I sometimes think about the shepherd that didn't go. The one who said, well, we need someone to look after these sheep. I'll stay. It's a cop-out, isn't it? He was just making an excuse. Because if there were hundreds of angels in the sky, I think the sheep would be all right. But he makes an excuse. And, and how often do we do that? I, I, better, I, better, I better stay. Now, you all go. And it reveals something in us. Why did that one shepherd stay? Was he too full of shame? Was he too full of guilt? Was, was he just exhausted? Goodness me, I've been up all night. I'm not going all the way back down there. What, what, what was it? Was he still angry about something and thought, oh, well, sod it, you lot go. If something's good going to happen, it's not going to happen to me. What kept the one shepherd still on the hillside? What keeps us still on the hillside when God is doing something brilliantly exciting and we've been invited in? What keeps us out? Because that's the thing by his spirit that I believe he would love to blow out from our lives this Christmas. Joy to the world. But that can only happen when there's joy in me. And I found a way to get that joy out. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That you came not to condemn, but to rescue and save. You came announcing good news of great joy. For all the people. That's joy for me. Your gift to me this Christmas is great joy. Now, we know, Father, in our community today, there are loads of situations and circumstances that make us sad, that cause us pain, that hang over us. But yet, what we're talking about here from your word is not something that's dependent on the circumstances but something that independently will rise even when the circumstances are everything that we wouldn't want them to be. I can have a peace in a troubled world and I can have joy in a joyless situation because the joy comes not from my circumstance, not from the events that are going on around me or even within me. My joy comes from you. And as you said, that your joy would be in us and you'd make our joy complete. May this be our gift, our gift to the world, because it's firstly been a gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen.